Blue, green, and every color of the rainbow garbage can can be used to indicate that that, that right there is a recycling bin. But where do we really get this idea in the first place? What is recycling and is it really effective? Let's talk about it here on The Green Conversation. I'm your host, Leo Jenko. The history of curbside recycling or municipal waste management is an interesting tale. Recycling as we know it is a relatively new in the grand scheme of things of American history. Dr. Emily Yedenick works with the U.S. Department of Energy and is a fellow at the Advanced Research Projects Agency Energy, ARPA-E for short. She conducted a history analysis of recycling in America published in 2022 in the Journal of Science Policy and Governance. Her analysis dated back to the end of World War II. Recycling was a response to the increase in production and consumption after the influx of cheap oil development. With this development, the game of production changed to convenient products fueled by cheap energy. From this technological boom, mass-produced cheap plastic was born, but not without opposition. Around the 1970s, Earth Day was recognized by the government. The Environmental Protection Agency was established, and Gary Anderson designed the iconic recycling symbol as we see today. But it wouldn't be until 10 years later when we use it. According to Yednik, Dan Sanderson was the first person who promoted curbside recycling in Woodbury, New Jersey, for us common folk. According to Yednik, Dan Sanderson was the first person who promoted curbside recycling in Woodbury, New Jersey, for suburbia. But it was not well received at first. Yednik's article reads, quote, Sanderson began advocating for a law that would require all residents to separate their glass, metal, and paper waste in separate buckets at the curb. The town's initial response was overwhelmingly negative. Newspapers wrote scathing reports about Don Sanderson, and residents, angry and worried that their taxes would go up, dumped trash on his lawn. When Don Sanderson made it known that his proposal would save the town money on landfill costs, public opinion quickly turned, and Sanderson's law passed. Within three months, Woodbury, New Jersey achieved an 85% compliance in the recycling program. Thus, the new curbside recycling model was established, unquote. But the development of curbside recycling did not stop there. You see, recycling is expensive. So to cut costs, a single streamlined recycling method was pioneered in 1995 by the state of California. Now, instead of separating your recycled materials at home, you can throw all your recyclables into one bin. People believed this method would increase curbside recycling due to the ease and convenience to recycle. From the time it started in 1960s to 2017, according to Yednik, recycling increased by 1,600% or 5.61 to 94.17 million tons of material. Around 2018, the problems with recycling started to show, though. One large problem was the international markets and our relationship with China. 
In Edenick's investigation around 2016, about a third of recycling material were shipped to China for processing. Around 2018, the West Coast of America was shipping 80 to 90% of recycling materials to China, who probably just burned the materials. To some people's surprise, using materials that can be recycled does not lower consumption of natural resources. They forget about growing populations and lifespans that may require more and more products that would make life more convenient. This is why recycling materials started to be shipped to our China adversaries. Our recycling capabilities did not grow with the demand of product, and we see this today. But there's a lot more complications to curbside recycling. Recycling is one of the most virtuous actions one can take to show how environmentally conscious an individual is. But recycling is a lot more complicated than throwing materials in the recycling bin on the curbside. I find it hilarious that people think their efforts of recycling actually make an impact. Curbside recycling creates more complications than benefits. The first complication is what taxpayer money is going towards. We recycle plastics, aluminum, and other materials, but for what? Why? Ask any environmental activist if they know how their waste is going to be recycled and what material will it be used for. They won't know. The public is not well informed on the outcome of recycled materials. As mentioned before, most of the recycling is shipped overseas. However, that is not the only location recyclable materials end up. It can also end up at the dump. Yeah, when recycled materials are not cleaned, they are unable to be processed, and studies have found that majority of people do not clean recycled materials. Any recyclable products need to be cleaned first, or it goes straight to the dump. The second complication is the cost to curbside recycling or alternatively called municipal waste management, as I discussed. According to Baum and colleagues in 2010, the cost of labor to collect, separate, and process, and the fuel needed for this process increases as more waste is collected. Now, compound that cost with an increase in population, which leads to more waste to be collected. There is a constant need for monetary funding of labor and processing. We can let the people sort it out like before, but it wasn't practical. Streamlining the recycling is not practical. It doesn't seem like recycling will ever outweigh the labor costs, which is a huge problem because, well, these programs are funded by the government. But the third complication is the materials used in the first place. Let's take plastics, for example. Plastic is a versatile product, but is one of the most top materials that is littered. At the time of invention, plastic offered multiple benefits for production. The material can be strong barriers that was flexible and malleable. Plastic is an easy to use and produce at a low cost. But the corporate demand for plastic has boomed over the years. 
Instead of addressing corporations and their push for plastic materials, the consumption of the populace is blamed for the littering problem. Thus, recycling campaigns are pushed, but as mentioned in the second complication, recycling's expensive, dude. This trend of plastic does not seem to be slowing down either. Get this. According to Smith and colleagues in a 2022 article, quote, it is estimated that approximately 8,300 megatons of plastic has been produced since the 1950s. And during this period, 6,300 megatons of plastic waste has been generated, most of which has been disposed in landfills. Plastic demand in 1950s was about 2 megatons per year, whereas in 2019 it increased to 368 megatons per year. And it predicted that this demand will continue to increase, quadrupling by 2050. End quote. This form of recycling is just unsustainable for our economic perspective. No matter how we try to go about this, there is some sort of situation that needs to be resolved that complicates the process. For instance, one way to lower labor costs is for citizens to sort out recycling from trash. But this strategy opens up to a lot of problems. First off, I really don't want to spend time out of my day sorting through trash and then figure out what I'm going to do with the rest of the short hours I have left to get what I need to get done for tomorrow. Now, this doesn't mean that all recycling is bad. There is uh, emerging scientific evidence that lithium batteries for electric cars are highly recyclable. But the more immediate and current problem is the curbside recycling. Why then is recycling so potent in our society? Well, it comes down to big business and environmental activists. I'm referring to the littering campaigns pushed at all levels of government and from businesses. In certain states, littering has come down to a crime, as it should be, but that's, that's not the point I'm making. The point I'm trying to make is that anti-littering stances become standing ground for the government. And state government of Indiana has an anti-littering campaign that can be used against people. My home state of Texas has the Don't Mess With Texas anti-littering campaign. And it all started with businesses to push the responsibility of trash to the state and people. And now look at the economic mess we are in with recycling plants and budgeting. The problem will not go away. The government has promoted and established a system to engender a green consciousness for the public. They invested a great deal of publicity, and they definitely do not want to anger the mob in this current political environment. Some scholars argue that more education is key to making recycling worthwhile, but all this does is perpetuate the current systematic problems with labor costs. From my own experiences as a child, educating children about recycling does not work. I remember as a kid, Coke started to create lanyards out of Coke bottles. 
And ever since then, a joke circulated among my peers. The joke? Well, you could be wearing a Coke bottle Britney Spears drank out of. Yeah, as a kid, recycling was a fad. The adult world tried to educate us, but as Smith and colleagues pointed out, these campaigns fail drastically. Kids don't understand complex systems, especially for waste and management. Additionally, adult people can be educated, but when there are other pressures around an individual, the last thing on their mind is sorting out recycling materials. Yeah, something like uh, bills. There are so many types of recycling materials on top of that that it's tedious to sort through. Even if we are able to recycle most materials, I am not going to take the time out of my day to sort through all the materials because um, I have a life. On top of that, again, these materials need to be cleaned. Who has the time to be this meticulous with their waste? Education does nothing when the economic burden of recycling is present. Our tax dollars are still being drained. Government budgets remain negative. Educating the people to sort through proper materials is stupid. To make things more complicated, not every municipal has the technology to recycle every recyclable material. And it is our job as an average citizens to figure this out and sort accordingly? Really? Maybe if our lives were a vacuum. But come on. If I'm a lower class citizen trying to work two jobs and feed kids, the last thing on my mind is whether my soda bottle is properly sorted and cleaned for recycling. Even middle class families who work 8 to 5 have little time to assess the waste they output. But some states are very adamant in supporting the current recycling structure. So, according to the Oregon Public Broadcast, Oregon and Washington states tried to create policies that would ensure certain recycling services and standards are mandatory in all areas of the states. Here's a clip from the broadcast. One of the mechanisms for this is what's known as a producer responsibility organization. What do they do? Those organizations uh, ultimately sort of make sure that those that recycling is happening on the ground. So they make sure that every community that needs access to garbage is also getting recycling picked up. They make sure that the those you know bins full of recycled materials are going to sorting facilities and that those streams of plastic or cardboard or aluminum are then going to uh, businesses that can actually recycle them and make them into new materials. And they sort of set the prices as well. Oregon was bold enough to levy plastic manufacturing industries to pay for the recycling upgrades. Both states failed to make the policy into legislation, but the reasoning is remarkably okay. The reasoning wasn't enough for me, but the broadcast stated that Washington failed to pass the bill because some people believe it would limit areas that went above and beyond the typical standards for recycling. Now, the fact that the policy would force local governments to pay for recycling services when their residents may not have the money to pay for more taxes than what they've already paid. The moxie of this podcast was outstanding. It even suggested that companies make the recycling symbols clearer for customers, ignoring the studies already showing the lack of attention to sorting and cleaning recyclable materials. 
The push for the current economically burdensome system is strong in these two states. If we were to focus on consumers and their waste problem, there are more efficient strategies to lower waste. For instance, we do not need the next best thing. Any iPhone user would know that the latest upgrade is not always the best. And you don't need the next best Tesla or electric vehicle. Maybe this is small town, old generation thinking, but happiness does not come from your wallet. It comes from experiencing life with family and friends and enjoying what you're doing. Recycling is great, but if we don't lower our consumption, it's pointless and it'll be shipped off to China. And we as consumers can be demanding efficient and easy upgradable products. For instance, instead of getting a new laptop, start looking for laptops with hardware that can be easily upgraded manually. I wish this was the same for vehicles, but I understand that that is a more complicated feat and whether or not it's viable is another story. The burden to recycle such massive amounts of plastic and other materials should decrease theoretically though. So as a consumer, you can start changing the market by the levels you are consuming and the materials while promoting your friends to do the same. If you do become a business, create products that can be easily upgraded with hardware and software and with the least number of materials. Focus on evolving your products over time. Don't stay in the same game. Move with society. Some companies are doing just that. They are looking to make products that last longer and take less energy, and they do not centralize your business around one product. Be flexible with your business model. Just because you can have it doesn't mean you need it. It's a simple lesson parents apply to their kids who want every toy in the world. So once we have our consumption under control, recycling would be a good solution to our waste output. But if your consumption exceeds your ability to recycle and your life doesn't really compensate recycling habits, then this is all for nothing. Okay, that's it for this episode. Remember, episodes are released on the 15th and 30th of every month. In the meantime, stay tuned for the next episode, and I will talk to you at another time. You just listened to The Green Conversation with Leo. If you would like to contribute to the podcast, please visit leojenko.org and sign up to be a member of the community. As a member, you can get content all year long compared to public listeners. You can also follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Search for The Green Conversation. Music was produced by Michael David Mobley. Sound and scripts were produced in-house. Research to make this episode is cited in the episode description. If you would like to make a one-time donation, please contact me for further details. Contact information is on the website. Look for the next episode in two weeks. See you then.